It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Turn up your volume. Because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast. With Tony Marinero. Sports entertainment like no other. It's going to be sick. Brought to you by Cherry River Hard Seltzer. Only 90 calories, natural flavors, and no preservatives. Now available in Quebec Grocery and The Beer Store. Marinero, the sick podcast, and a lot of people in Montreal are talking about Patrick Roy as a candidate to be the next Habs general manager. Guess where I'm going? To Colorado. To one man who knows him very well. He covered his career there. When uh, Patrick Waugh was there as a goalie, as a player, and when he was there as coach and VP of Hockey Ops. Adrian Dater of Colorado Hockey Now. How you doing, bud? I'm hanging in there, Tony. Just trying to stay out of trouble, you know. Uh, yeah. Jeez, uh, we got about 60 degrees and sunny here in, in Denver. Uh, how's the weather there? Cold? Uh, it is cold, yes. It is uh, absolutely freezing. Uh, but uh, it's okay because it's a kind of uh, seems like hockey season, I guess. It's a sick podcast. Yeah, yeah thanks for doing this. It's uh, brought to you by Cherry River Hard Seltzer, only 90 calories, natural flavors, no preservatives, now available in Quebec grocery stores and at the beer store. So once again, a couple of days ago marked the 26-year anniversary of the Canadians trading Patrick Roy to the Colorado Avalanche, December 6th, 1995. Man, time flies when you're having fun, huh? Oh, man. Incredible, right? I was there. I, w- I covered that story. It's funny. Uh, the night before he was traded, uh, the Avs playing San Jose Sharks, and uh, it was the old McNichols Arena. And uh, Pierre Lacroix, rest in peace, uh, was up in the makeshift suite they had on the phone the whole night. This was landline phones, don't forget. No cell phones. Oh, wow, yeah. And uh, we pretty much knew what he was doing. He was calling Rajon Ul and leaving messages and saying, call me back. Uh, I got wind of the story that was done at about 2 a.m., but uh, no internet back then, nothing to tell. I had to basically tell it to my cat. You know, I was the only person I could tell at that wow. hour. <laughs> and uh, got a call at 6 a.m. from the SPR man, Jean Martineau, who uh, – gave me the news that the deal was done. I, I can't believe it happened still to this day. It was so weird. And, uh, you know, the whole thing, of course, we we know all the backstory of it. But, uh, wow, yeah, uh, he had quite a run here. Uh, I know that doesn't always sit well with Canadian fans, but uh, 
Um, you know, I'm glad he, Patrick made up with the Habs in a way. And uh, here he is. His name is in the hopper for a possible role. And uh, I guess that's what we're going to discuss more of here. Right, Tony? Well, uh, Pierre Lacroix was an agent who turned yep. uh, general manager. And when he became general manager, the agency was in the hands of Bob Sauvé, right? And Bob Sauvé was right. Patrick Roy's agent at the right. time. And right. so... You know, they really wanted to get Patrick to Colorado once it was, um, you know, once it was official that, you know, there was no turning back and that Patrick was going to be moved, uh, which based on the information I have, you know, once again, Canadians are playing the Detroit Red Wings. Patrick was in goal. He's left in goal for nine goals. They're down 9-1. Mario Tremblay pulls him. He comes to the bench. There's a stare down between the two. Patrick Waugh. Turns back, goes over to see then president of the Canadians, Ronald Corey, and says to him, um, I've played my last game in Montreal. Corey's face turns a different color. And uh, based on the information I have, uh, even though they met the next day, um, neither side was winning, willing to turn back at that point. Patrick wanted to move on, and the Canadians didn't hold him back. They're like, you know what? You want to move on? We want to move on too. And before that happened, there was word that it was probably going to be Patrick's last year in Montreal. Right. Because Serge Savard was fired five games into the season. But before he was, he was trying to trade Patrick. Yep. And so then he ends up getting traded to the Colorado Avalanche, a team that was a Patrick Waugh away and maybe a Mike Keane away from winning the Stanley Cup. And he wins two Stanley Cups in Colorado in a span of seven and a half years, I think. Right. Yep. Two cups, seven and a half years. Uh Con Smythe win in 2001. The only guy still to win a Con Smythe trophy in three different decades. Don't think that'll ever happen again. Yeah, it's pretty remarkable. Uh, there's no doubt about it. Now, when that deal was done and you found out about 2 o'clock in the morning, the morning of December 6, 1995, the second that deal you found out about it, you said what? Well, first of all, I was shocked, but not shocked because we knew that some Pierre wanted him. You know, the, yeah. the blow-up happened on the second. Wah went back to his house that night and Bob Sove came over to his house that night. Uh, and so did Mike Keene, who also drove Wah's son, Jonathan, over at that time. Uh, because uh, somehow, um, yeah, Mike Keene and Jonathan were driving to uh, Bob Sove's house is where it was. And so they all met over there. And um, uh, Wah, you know, by all accounts in that room was saying it's over. Um, you know, I think he was shocked still that everything happened, but he, he was, he, he thought it was over. Remember the two, there was that poll in the Montreal uh, newspaper saying, uh, should we trade this guy or not? And the poll said we, they should. The fans said they, sh yes, that I know upset him a lot. Still, he was brooding about that. There was he, also at the time there was, um, there was a promotion with upper deck, and they would have billboards all over the city. Uh, and there was uh, one or two billboards, and this is player cards, of course, that said, Echanger Roi, Trade Roi, which was kind of like their publicity for player cards, but it got mistaken. A lot of people thought that there was a campaign to have Patrick Roy traded so much so that there were billboards. That didn't go over very well. It was just, it was a nightmare. And that night where he let up nine goals, when the score was 7-1, there was a shot from, I think, from Fedorov that was outside the blue line, yep. and he stopped it, and the yep. fans cheered mockingly, yep. and he raised his arms. He raised and his arms. 
Yeah. Once he did, you, know, you, you just kind of knew it was the beginning of the end, you know? Yeah. Um, and also, you know, Mara Tremblay was new, a coach, and uh, trying, to, trying to assert himself. Um, I didn't know this, but it was in uh, uh, Patrick Waugh's father's book that he wrote on uh, Patrick. Um, yeah. And it was there was a night in Edmonton when, you know, Patrick didn't want to go out to the clubs necessarily and be recognized and have to sign autographs. He wanted to have a beer back at the hotel, you know, that kind of thing, and not be recognized as much. Uh, but Mario, I guess, came uh, came in to the West in Edmonton and said, uh, spotted him and Pierre Turgeon having a beer and said, no drinking at the hotel bar. You guys get out of here. And Patrick was like, come on, man. I'm, this is the junior high stuff, junior hockey stuff. And, you know, it just kept on from there. Uh, I think those two made up. That hilarious food ad they did uh, about a year ago was pretty good. Yeah, yeah, several months ago, as a matter of fact. Well, yeah, got yeah. Some good money for that, but uh, uh, yeah, you know, amazing, amazing thing. And you know, he gets dropped off here in Denver, Colorado, where none of us still knew a wrist shot from a a wristwatch. Uh, we were just rookies here, just had a team dropped in our laps from Quebec, and now all of a sudden, here comes this goalie who's you know basically St. Patrick, the institution in Montreal. Uh, how could yeah. this happen? Just amazing story. Um, to me, there still hasn't been enough written about it, and I'd love to see a good thirty for thirty or something on that kind of thing. Uh, uh, but uh, yeah, we, you know, what, what can you say? We all got lucky here in Denver with this. Um, at what point did you guys say to yourselves in Colorado, this team's going to win the cup? Uh, it was not during. The regular season, even after Patrick, people forget that he was lit up a few times still here. He lost 7 nothing to Detroit uh, in a game later that regular season. It just, you know, they're not as good as the Wings, um, et cetera, et cetera. They could have lost easily to Vancouver in the first round. They, uh, they were, they were uh, I remember it was, uh, you know, 2-2 going back to Vancouver. Um and they were down one nothing in the series, and there was a lot of turmoil around the team in a way, a lot of uptight nerves. Pavel Bure happened to be out for that series, which, you know, yeah. a bit of a break there for the Uh They, they could have lost to Chicago in the second round, some injuries there, some weird circumstances. Chris Jellos got shot up too much Novocaine second round, couldn't play a key game. They win that series. Then they go to Detroit. Wings are going to roll. 62 wins, game series over. That's when Patrick became Patrick again. And when they, when it was like two nothing Detroit, I'm like, okay, yeah, I think they may win the cup. Uh, we all thought they were going to play the penguins in the cup. Cause they were playing the Florida Panthers in the Eastern finals. Yeah. Oh, come on. Panthers can't beat Mario Lemieux and Yarmir Yager. They did. They got the lucky break there beating and it was a sweep. Um, and uh, I'll tell you what uh, it came, it happened fast. Cause they were, they weren't really that good a team. Um, after Patrick, they were a good team. They weren't a great team. All of a sudden, they caught fire, and it was all Patrick, I think, from from round three on. It was all Patrick Wall. He, he was just dominant. How was it covering him as a player back then? You know, I've said this before. I really like covering him as a player because, uh, number one, he was always good copy. He was rarely sure. He, uh, he always gave you a pretty good line. Uh, I remember he took a shot at Glenn Sater ever. <laughs> I think it was 98 when he did not get picked to the Olympic team. Uh, no, no, I'm sorry. The, uh, it was another Olympic team before that or something. I think I got my teams wrong. He did play in the 98 play uh, Olympics for Canada. 
Um, that was Nagano, I think. That was Nagano, I think. Right, right. I'm thinking of some other team. Anyway, he took a good shot at Sailor, I remember, and that made for a good copy. He was always, you know, told it like it was. He was a good guy to talk Agi with because he had a photographic memory about things. He never forgot anything. Uh, there were many times in locker rooms where he would say, you know, hey, you know, remember when, you know, Theo Fleury scored that goal on him on me about five years ago in a game? And everybody's like, no. Well, he remembered everything. Um, wow. And, you know, he was more accommodating in a way for the first year or so. There was a real honeymoon period. I remember he let me come into his house. And oh, yeah? And stories where you do a story like a day with Patrick kind of thing. And I rode in his, his big SUV, drove me around town. I, I remember we, we went to a electronic store. This is right when he first got traded. <clears throat> a week or two later, I'm sitting in Patrick's truck uh, SUV. He goes into an electronic store. Uh, he needed new TVs and everything for the house. And uh, basically it was like uh, a bunch of stuff, big TVs, probably about 15 grand he was going to spend. And uh, they told him, though, that, well, we can't deliver it today. And he's like, basically said, how much money do I need to get you to change your mind? <laughs> and they did. They brought it that night. And uh, he got all his TVs and stuff. Hooked oh, up. really? That's a cool story. Yeah, he was not going to be denied. He was going to pay whatever whatever it took. I don't think they knew who he was at the time either. Patrick Wall was, was not, nobody knew who he was. I remember John Elway talking about uh, John Elway, the great John Elway in the they asked him about why at a Broncos practice. He goes, how come they don't call it Roy? You know, he's just, you know, everybody's just, people knew, the hockey fans knew of him, but nobody else. He would walk around Denver unrecognized for those first first weeks. So as he went on along, you know, he had so much success as a team and a player that was always in a pretty good mood, basically. But there were times if you crossed him or you wrote something he didn't like, and I did that a couple of times. I mean, I got my head chewed off by him. I know what it's like to be screamed at by Patrick Waugh. Oh, really? How did, how did that go down? Like, so, like so, paint the picture for me. How does that go down? Well, I wrote in my book. So I'm, you're, you're, I, I'm Adrian Data. You're Patrick Waugh. I write a piece. He doesn't like it. How does it go? Well, one time I wrote a thing about him uh, smashing up the uh, coach's room, Bob Hartley's coach's room in uh, 1998 because he didn't, oh, I remember that. didn't get credit for a win that he played in nine- all the, you know, it's one of those games you get taken out for a breather and the other guy makes a save and he gets a good game winning goal score. He gets the win. Patrick, Patrick at that time was going for Terry Sawchuk's record. Wasn't up happy with it. Turns out he smashed up Bob Hartley's uh, video room. Was full uniform, by the way. Smashed up the TVs, VCRs, everything. And uh, uh, about two weeks later, I finally got somebody to leak that to me. Uh, I had that. I didn't really know anything about it that night. I was in Anaheim that when it happened. Okay. So when I get leaked to me, I wrote the story. Uh, what happened? Guess who was in town that very day to play the Avalanche? <laughs> Montreal Canadiens. So he thought I'd waited two weeks to embarrass him. You see, when no, I, I would have written the story. Um, he was very very unhappy with me. He blew up at me. He made some, uh, you know, some accusations toward me that weren't true. And we ended up pretty much going face to face for a little while. Um, he's the type though, you had to stand up to him, I think, to get his respect in a way, you know, um, you had to, you had to know that you weren't just going to be bullied by him. Um, you know, if you were wrong on something, I had to admit it and say, sorry, but you know, he was, he could be wrong too sometimes. And he did apologize to me one time, I think over that incident, basically. 
he got he got a little carried away. As a coach, he barked at me a few times. That's for sure. Uh, didn't like some questions about uh, personnel or whatever. Uh, he would he would he would he would answer back what in front of other me- members of the media in a scrum on a one on one. Shoot you a text. Pick up the phone. Give you a call. Shot me a couple texts, a couple times. Yeah, um, he was. He would never try to really embarrass you, though, in front of people. I mean, I've always said Patrick has a, a lot of class. Really, I thought you know he's. I thought he was always gracious around kids and older people and things like that. He didn't always want to be bothered, of course, because he was a superstar player, right? I mean, of course. But uh, you know, I never saw him just lash out and be a real jerk to people at all. He, he took it out on me sometimes, right? As a beat writer, I, I, that's gonna. <laughs> I would have yelled at myself too a lot. Uh, so I never took any of that personally. Um, he, uh, you know, you had to be prepared though around him. If you didn't know your hockey and you were sort of asking stupid questions, yeah, then he might bark at you in front of a group. Yeah. Usually he would not, uh, he would not try to be that way. I mean, he, he kept things private pretty much. Four and a half years into his tenure as a player with the Colorado Avalanche, if memory serves me well, he was arrested at one point um, on allegations of domestic abuse or I don't know I don't quite remember how that whole thing ended up but I mean he didn't do jail time um at least because he continued to play with the avalanche do you remember how that all went down I think there was a a 911 call that came from his home they hung up police showed up they saw the um the the house there was some damage done to the house and uh, they brought him in and how was his relationship with the media after that and all that? How did that go over? Well, I do remember that, of course. Uh, that was 2001. He was, you know, going. That was the year they were won the cup uh, with Ray Bork. Uh, and he was going for the uh, re- victory record at the time still. Um, it was uh, it was big news here, obviously. It was big news around the hockey world. Uh, he was um, He was arrested and charged but the charges were dropped uh his now ex-wife uh basically said that you know um she shouldn't she didn't she didn't want charges to go forward but once once cops come to the house you know uh, on a domestic situation I, I recall reading and remembering uh you know they have to charge you with something basically um, okay so uh the charges were dropped uh, obviously it was not a happy time for him or anybody. I do remember how nervous he was, uh, talking to the media that first time. I think that was most nervous I've ever seen him. He was very, you know, uh, shaken might be the word. Uh, you know, they brought him out from behind closed doors to meet with us for a few minutes. He said, uh, you know, he has no comment basically. And, uh, uh, they got through that somehow, you know, the team stuck by him. I remember Ray Bork saying, you know, this is a family matter basically. And everything that happens in a family stays within the family and, and they supported him. And I know that that got him feeling much more uh, like he wanted to give back to the abs too. Like he had something to give back. And I think, I don't know what the, I don't, I don't think he ever wanted to talk about that or use it as motivation, but I know that he and Ray Bork became even more close after that based on Ray basically being the guy to stand up and, and say, look, this, this is uh we'll deal with this and this is private between them and you know he's our he's our 
he's our brother and we're we're all so is michelle and we all love her too and and basically you know let's have a happy ending i think and that's about as much as i ever dealt dug into that because you know off ice stuff like that you don't want to you don't want to go too overboard. I know that the you know things happen in the heat of the moment, and and, and uh, everybody regretted. I'm sure what happened. Uh, if you want an Avalanche jersey or any team in the National Hockey League, any sport, any team, any player, sport, shop.com for all of your officially licensed sports apparel and our sick merchandise as well. Use code SICK15 for 15% off on all of their items. Okay, anyway, he finishes off his career with the Colorado Avalanche, two Stanley Cups, one Conn Smythe, and years later he ends up. Um, holding the position of VP of Hockey Ops and head coach of the Colorado Avalanche. That lasted for three years, and one month before pro camp, he actually quit citing philosophical differences and differences in of opinion and uh, uh, different vision than that of the organization, most likely that of Joe Sackick. Talk to me about his career now as a coach and VP of Hockey Ops and how that all went down and whether it was smooth or not. Well, it was all great, great stuff at at the beginning. I mean, had good ship lollipop here for a good solid year. Uh, he gets brought back to good fanfare. The media, you know, rolled out the red carpet. The team did. He, he sounded great. He gave all the right answers. And the Avalanche win the division that first year, a very tough division after being terrible a year before, a few years, and he wins the Jack Adams Award. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, everything was great. Um, they lost in the first round in the playoffs and that was a disappointment. And, but you know, the Tyson Berry got dirty hit from Matt cook and they lost the wild. And, um, you know, they were still a pretty decent team the next two years under why he almost got under the playoffs those two years, you know, they still had winning records. Um, that third, Summer, though, they were starting to uh, get a little worse. They remember Patrick blew up a little bit, mocked Matt Duchesne after a goal that he scored his 30th yeah, goal. Yeah, Duchesne scored his 30th goal of the year. Yeah, he mocked him. He said, are you kidding started, me or what? Yeah. started to get a little ticked off at his team, I think, at that point, and thinking it seemed like he didn't have as much faith in that team anymore. I don't think he had faith in Semyon Varlamov anymore as a goalie. Um, and... Then came the offseason. I think he wanted some free agent signs. Uh, I know Alexander Radulov was one guy that he yeah, wanted. Because he had him with the Ramparts. Had him, had him with the Ramparts. And uh, basically, ownership Sackick said no. Uh, and that became a contentious thing. And a few other personnel decisions that he probably wanted that they also wouldn't do. I think the Avs wanted to rebuild, basically, at that point or start over a little bit as far as with younger guys. Patrick, who was the coach, coaches always want to win now. They want older guys who can get them to win now, maybe. Uh, he didn't want to go through that. He quit in August uh, of that year, basically left the Avs high and dry for right before the start of training camp. Uh, so, so he wanted a free agent. The GM didn't want him. He wasn't happy about that. The GM and the organization wanted to go younger and rebuild. Right. He wanted to patch and make the team better right away to try and go for it. Hence some of the philosophical differences. And Yeah, I mean, it, it's probably more to that too. But yeah, that's probably the gist of what went wrong here. And Patrick, you know, I said from day one, I always thought that 
I don't know how long Patrick's going to be able to be subservient to people above him making personnel decisions. Uh, so in a sense, it wasn't a surprise to me that this happened. Uh, nobody expected him to quit out of the blue on August of 2016. They had to bring in Jared Bednar and they had a 48 point season. Uh, so let me tell you that did not go over well with uh, ownership here in Denver. Uh, I don't think that has ever been uh, patched up since that he left. Did he, did he when when he was the um, the coach and all this was happening and he quit a month before pro camp? Did he talk to you at all or any other member of the media to say, "Hey, I want this guy. They don't want. I want this guy. These guys don't want. These guys are this. These guys are anything." No, Patrick had pretty much stopped uh, talk communicating with me. Let's say on texts or calls. By then, I think he'd started to withdraw a lot from people in Denver, or the media, uh, whoever else. Uh, you know, Patrick was never a guy you could get on the phone very easily, first of all. Uh, if I ever did get him on the phone, he would often say, uh, let me call you right back. And of course, he'd never call. Uh, sometimes you'd get him in a talkative mood for whatever reason. But uh, no, he was not talking much at all then. It was okay. a surprise. In ending, the Canadians hired Jeff Gordon as VP, Executive Vice President of Hockey Ops. Uh, they want uh, a two-person system. Um, that's what Jeff Molson is striving for. Jeff Gordon talked about someone that he could have chemistry with, uh, someone that he could trust, uh, someone that could bring a certain skill set to the table that he doesn't have, someone he would feel comfortable working with. Um, but they want to do this team thing and not a one-man show. Knowing that, and Patrick Roy's name is coming up here in the province of Quebec a lot, especially from, you know, um, a certain sector of the media. <laughs> Do you think that he should be Gorton's guy? It's hard for me to say being so removed, but um, I think – I think he should. I think the Canadians should do it. I think I, I'm probably speaking more from media's guy standpoint. Um, the question I don't know is exactly how much Patrick has kept, you know, his ear to the ground on the NHL circles. I don't, I don't know if anybody knows that uh, right now. Um, um, so that would make me a little wary. You know, the fact that he hasn't been in an NHL building in, in almost five years now. Yeah. yeah a little concerning to me. Um, that's it. I, personally, I think it would be chaos, but if, yeah. it, well, if, it, if he were to ever get a position, I would see him more as a coach and not as a GM. I, I think he likes coaching more than being a GM too. I think, I think he loves being a coach, uh, but he doesn't want to be at the whim of some, some guy. He doesn't maybe trust or get along with sometimes making his power, holding power over him. I think what happens Patrick needs and, and what would make it work is what is his owner's relationship with the Mol Jeff Molson and that if he has a good relationship with Molson, then I think he can deal with whatever Gordon, you know, any disagreements he might have with Gordon or something, as long as he knows that Molson is his guy and, and vice versa, I think Patrick could be fine. I mean, listen, yeah, but then you've taken the power away from Jeff Gordon, which clearly is not the case right. because based on the press conference a week ago, the power has been given to Gordon. And that's why it maybe just is destined for never to happen because I do think Patrick has to have a certain level of control to do whatever he does. Uh, he needs to be the boss basically, unless he, you know, is exactly in the same kind of power position as the other person. I think uh, he did not have that here in Denver and it wore on him eventually. Um, 
you could see the same thing happening in Montreal. Uh, um, I don't I don't never I don't understand why teams do this. You know, who's the GM? I mean, I want to know who's making the personnel decisions either way. If Patrick is making is the GM. Well, you know what's happening in Montreal, right? The Francophone media and a certain sector of the fan base want to see um, a, a Francophone GM or a French speaking GM. Uh, because that narrows the list of candidates and they probably won't be able to get one with the experience of a Jeff Gordon. They made Jeff Gordon executive vice president of hockey ops and he'll hire the general manager, but most believe that it's Gordon who will actually be the guy without having the title. Well, then I don't think Patrick's going to enjoy the job. And I don't, I'm, I think he'd love to be offered the job, but I'm not even sure he'd take it if that were the case. If he's the GM, does, the GM has to make the final call on personnel decisions, right? Yeah. It can't be the president. Of, uh, well, he yet. would take it. Adrian, he would take it. And I'll tell you why. Because okay. it wouldn't be long before the bubble would burst between Gordon and Patrick Waugh. And there would be a difference of opinion. He would let his difference of opinion be known. It would end up becoming a power struggle. And uh, guess who the king is in the province of Quebec? It's Patrick Waugh. So most people would side with him. And then goodbye, Mr. Gordon. And that's probably what a couple he, of uh, daily newspapers in the city would want. Is he still really the king of, of Montreal, though? Or is there still... Well, if he comes back, he will be. 95. If he comes... Listen, there are some that will not forgive him for walking out on the team, but um, some were able to, to to forgive after his jersey was retired. But, right. uh, you know, that night he said, uh, you know, tonight I'm back home. And... Uh, yeah. At that point, all was forgotten. So, look, I think Nobody that it would be a power struggle. Yeah. I think That's there would be chaos, and then he'd try and win over public opinion. I just I just think it would be a nightmare, personally. There's always chaos, though, I mean, in hockey. So, I don't I know. Let there be chaos. I, Patrick's good in chaos, too. I'll tell you, he's a, he's a, he's, he's a winner, man. Uh, and I'll tell you, nobody knows hockey better, I don't think the game of hockey than Patrick Waugh. He knows the whole, he knows everything. Um, does that mean he's a perfect coach and GM? Maybe not, but he won here. He won a title his first season with a pretty mediocre team. Um, I would, you know, even though he's not, even though he's not known as the best team player, I'd be willing to say that if he knows hockey better than anybody else, somebody would have hired him in the last five years. Well, that's true. Uh, and uh, I can't speak to this with any, specific knowledge but you do have to wonder if he got blackballed a little bit based on what he did to the avalanche quitting on him like that you do have to wonder about that you know maybe stories came out and people said uh, i don't think i could work with this guy if if so i haven't been told that directly uh really even off the record people pretty still afraid of patrick i want to get on patrick that side yeah at all he's a tough he's kind of a scary guy in a way when it comes to you know not scary in a way that way, but you know what I'm saying. Uh, he's tough, you know. He's tough. He's got a certain presence. He's got a certain he's presence very, for sure, hundred percent. He's got a very presence about him. When he's in the room, you always know. Yeah, it. you always know. It. He's got a magnetism about him. Always. Listen, if they do hire him, which I think he's got pretty much close to zero chance, to be honest. Um, and like I said, I wouldn't hire him to be the general manager of this team. I think it would become uh, Jeff Molson's biggest nightmare. I'd be exactly. I, I think it would be exactly what Jeff Molson doesn't want. But should it ever happen, maybe you can come to Montreal. There's going to be plenty of work here because there's going to be plenty of quotes, and maybe <laughs> you'll have one more interview in his truck. Hey, 
Thanks for doing this, man. I'll tell you, I'd, I'd love to be back. I'd love to be able to cover hockey in Montreal. Be an unbelievable thing. I've always said that you know the person in the top row of the Bell Center uh, has more knowledge about hockey and they're a little pinky than I've ever had in my whole entire life. So it's always been well. Listen, if uh, if Roy would be hired by the Canadians once again, there would be no shortage of things to talk about. I mean, it would make no. our jobs. Much, much easier. Hey, thanks for doing this. We'll talk to you soon. You take care. Pleasure, Tony. Thanks for having me. Happy holidays. There you have it. He's Adrian Dater. I'm Marinero, the Sick Podcast. Okay, Tony. Thanks. And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow the Sick Podcast on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. The Sick Podcast. Is brought to you by Cherry River Hard Seltzer. Only 90 calories, natural flavors, and no preservatives. Now available in Quebec Grocers and the Beer Store.